Today we're going to take a sidestep from our journey through the New Testament. And I want to talk to you about a, 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 different, a different topic today. We're not, we're not in, the, in the Gospels today. Um, Abel's going to pick up um, in Matthew 15 uh, next week. Uh, and I want to talk to you today about the, the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, probably from a slightly different angle, I hope. I want to start off by asking you a question that I think is so important for us as Christians today. Every time I look at the news, every time I look at, 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 at social, uh, you know, anti-social media, because um, uh, there's nothing social about it, um, I see more and more examples of people, and I'm going to try to say this as diplomatic as I can, but I don't know if there's a diplomatic way to say it, people who claim to represent God putting forward ideas that have nothing to do with representing God. They're not only ungodly, they're anti-God and they're anti-biblical, but they're claiming that they have the real truth and people that they would call, like, they would call me a fundamentalist. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. I'd rather be a fundamentalist then stand before God and have him ask me, what were you thinking? <laughs> I wrote it down so that you would remember, you know? Every time I need to remember something important, Samantha will tell me the exact same thing God told his, his followers. Write it down. But I want to I begin today with this question. Who are you when your guard is down? Who are you when you put no thought into your words or actions? You know, when you're around the people who know you so well that they can tell, you know, they, they can tell if you're hungry. Like, that, like, like, that's how well they know you. You don't have to pretend. They know, they know so much about you, even if you tried to hide something, they would just call you out on it. Who are you then? You may not think about it this way, but chances are that person is the real you. And everything else is, is just a paper cover on a book. You know, it's, it's fake. It's a facade. I knew someone that used to call it, uh, uh, used to say that that was someone's representative. And I'm like, what are, what are you talking about? Uh, now, she put it in the context of dating. She said she always knew that on the first date she would meet their representative. And at one point, I was like, who are you talking about? She said, it's the person they want me to think they are. And then you meet the real person. The real you is that person when you put no thought into who you are, where you are, who you're talking to. It just, it just comes out. Now, in Matthew chapter 7... Verses 15 through 20, Jesus says this, says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Right? Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit, you will know them. Now, I originally titled this message without saying a word. 
without saying a word. Trees grow fruit without saying a word. Their confession is irrelevant, right? What they want to be, how they identify, what they want to say they are is completely just unattached to what is the truth. You can walk around all day long saying, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, and there's lemons on your branches. Guess what? You're a lemon tree. That's it. It's pretty obvious. You are what you produce. You can claim to be a Christian all day long, but if you do not produce the fruit that should come from the life of a Christian, guess what? You ain't a Christian. You're at best religious. Now that might be the road that gets you there, but don't mistake the road for the destination. Do you understand what I'm saying? Coming to church on a Sunday morning is great. You should. I'm awesome. How often do you see this much awesome packed in something so little? I mean, if you've ever been to Krispy Kreme, you already there's another that you already understand, right? Or Chick-fil-A, but you know, it's just the way it works. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. But being a Christian will make you come to church. You understand? There's a difference. Your confessions are irrelevant if they do not match what you produce when you're not thinking about it. Anyone can pretend to be something. If you know what is expected of you, you can make yourself do that. Kids who grow up in church struggle with this regularly. They know when you're supposed to raise your hand in worship. They know when an amen is appropriate in a message. They understand how to pray. They know all of the stuff to make themselves look as though they're Christians. The question that every Christian parent needs to to understand is whether or not that child has gotten to the point where they realize that they need Jesus because they didn't get born with him. They were not born a believer. I remember reading a, a, a post on Facebook at one point in time where this, the, this parent was like, I can't stand it when people talk from the pulpit about how Christian parents need to make sure their kids come to the Lord. My kids have been with the Lord since they were babies. No, they haven't. And I can prove it. Ask the nursery workers who were present while your kid was beating the daylights out of somebody else's kid for a toy. What is the, one of the first words that kids learn to pronounce very, very well? Yeah, or mine! I was Uncle Duty for so long, but that kid knew what was mine! Mine, Duty! Okay. I'm just going to let him have it. It's okay, though. He also had an Aunt Wee Wee, so everything was fine. We definitely learn how to be selfish before anything else. You don't, yeah, you don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. You don't have have to teach a kid to be a jerk. It's like an innate skill you're just born with. 
You have to teach them how to be godly. You have to train them to be good. And we need to remember that. There is an intense spiritual contrast that happens in our lives because there are two sides to our lives. Whether you like it or not, there's the side of your life before you met the Lord and that side bears fruit and that side will bear fruit your whole life. Becoming a Christian does not erase who you were before you became the Lord. It erases it in eternity, but you have to deal with it here. Simple, simple, uh, simple uh, illustration. Get, get arrested and go to jail and then get saved in jail. Guess what? You're still in jail. Even though you're a Christian. You still have to deal with who you were. You can change your eternity, but you cannot necessarily erase who you used to be. But God can create a new creature in you. Right? In Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us a further illustration of what Jesus was saying in Matthew. Jesus says, it's by your fruits you will know them. So Paul, in in Galatians 5, gives us this list of two sides, of what what the fruit of the flesh looks like and what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And as we walk into this, I want to point something out to you. Don't make the mistake of thinking that a list in the Bible is the list. Like, this is all there is. These are the only fruits of the Spirit. No, it's not. Of all the fruits of the flesh that we're going to look at, This ain't it. Paul is giving us examples of what these things look like, not the exhaustive list, and this is all there is. Easy way to prove it. I've had this conversation. Be like, no, 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 that's it. That's that's the list, really. In the fruits of the Spirit, um, one of the things you're going to notice is that forgiveness isn't in there. But forgiveness is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? It's a list, not the list. And when you read both in the areas of the flesh and in the areas of the spirit, you're going to hear against such things like this. There's no law. People who practice things like this don't enter into heaven. He's pointing us in a direction, not trying to give us a list because Christians love lists because we can beat people up with them. A list is like a, it's like a club. You're supposed to be living and forgetting. No. We were driving in Watertown yesterday. And I'm, I'm a good driver. Not a patient driver. What bothers me is people who do things like stopping where there's no stop sign. Because there's another road that comes by. And they didn't realize they have stop signs. That bugs the snot out of me. Someone who's driving down, you know, a 55-mile-an-hour lane and 30 miles an hour because they're looking for the turn. If you're that oblivious to where you're going, everyone's phone has a GPS. And it will tell you in multiple languages... When to turn? I wish that the GPS, the phone GPSs, had locators of where other phones were. Because you know they're listening to you anyway. And it would say, 
turn left in 200 yards and don't slow down. The guy behind you is talking badly about you. (laughs) So we're driving and Samantha's giggling. And I already know why she's giggling because we've been married for 25 years and I get it. She goes, you're talking about the fruits of the spirit tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm practicing log suffering. <laughs> and trying to work out fits of rage. It's it's the way that it's the way that this works. We're all on the road. None of us have hit the hit the destination. So trust me, some of the things of the flesh, they apply they apply to you. And some of the things of the spirit, they apply to you. You don't have all of them. You just don't. And if you believe you do, then pride is an issue you need to deal with. <laughs> so let's, let's take a look at this. Paul begins with this. He says, I say then, now in the section above, he's talking about how people have been being divisive and how they're arguing and how they're just being stupid, making, you know, they need to make godly choices, not ungodly choices, and you need to, need to do better with this. And he, he's working his way through there, and then he gets to this, and he says, I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uh, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, uh, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I had told you in time past, those who practice such things, things like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Things like this, there's no law. Now, does that mean, as a Christian... You serve God your whole life, and then you find yourself driving through town, and someone cuts you off, and you have a slight moment of fits of rage, and then you're hit by a bus. Does God go, missed it by that much? Is that, is that how that, no, that's not how that works. Those, now, now you, you have to pay attention to how these things are worded. Those who practice such things. Do you understand how that works? Those who have made an excuse to make this right and refuse to repent of it when it happens will not enter the kingdom of God. It's those who make room for their sin that are the issue, not people battling the sin. There's a difference between fighting what you know is wrong, but it has a hold on you, than it is making room for it and then trying to justify it. The big push in the progressive church today is to make 
immorality moral. You can't. I don't care what your excuse is. It doesn't matter. I know people who were born predisposed to alcoholism, born predisposed to pornography and mental immorality, people who were born in situations where physical immorality are encouraged. None of that is a reason to try to make it somehow moral and acceptable to God because we're not accountable to society's standards. We're accountable to God's standards. We all have a cross to bear, and it's different for everyone, but the solution is the same for everyone. I was born this way. Good, you can be born again. That doesn't mean it goes away. It means you have a battle to fight. It's the same for everybody. No one's sin is less addictive than somebody else's. It's just a different sin. You still have this fight you have to have, and it's going to take a while. And if you walk trying to make an excuse to make the, I'm going to find a way to make this okay, then you are practicing these behaviors. But if you're looking at this saying, you know what, I, no, I know that these are not acceptable to God, but I know this is the ramification of living in a fallen world, we're in a sinful area, we're in a, in, in a, in a sinful world, this is a broken, people here have a broken spirit, I am not going to give myself over to society, I'm going to follow the standards of God, I will fight this, now you have a journey that you can, you can get on. You can get on the path of righteousness And you begin to work to the point where you can start to see the fruits of the Spirit in your life. They may have to be grafted into you, but we're grafted into God's vine. We might have to graft his fruits into into ours. Anyone ever seen a tangelo? It's like mixed fruit, but it's in one. It's weird. It's just weird. How do you do that? You graft one piece of fruit onto another, and you get something new. When we're grafted into the vine, we become something new. So who we used to be isn't, well, it's not, it's not a valid excuse anymore, is it? Now think of some of the things that he talks about in, uh, and when we talk about the works of the flesh. Because remember, your old you is still going to bear fruit. doesn't just turn off and then the fruits of the Spirit turn on. That's not how it works. You're still going to contend with these, these things happening in your life. Now look at what Paul starts off with. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. These are all moral issues. And it's interesting how thorough Paul was there. <laughs> right? Adultery, fornication, don't need a whole lot of graphic description on that one. They're pretty simple, Right? Uncleanness? Well, that, that, that's a little different. Uncleanness and lewdness are probably best described this way, this way. Doing things that we know are morally indefensible, but we find a way to make excuses to justify them. We find a way to make this right. So I'm glad we get to start here so I can get past this, and then while you guys are angry with me for a few minutes, we can move on to something else, and when we get to the fruits of the Spirit, you have to repent, and I feel better. Uncleanness, lewdness. Doing things that we know are morally indefensible, but we find a way to make it okay. 
So what does this look like in the physical world? Now remember, I'm not, I will never walk into your house, start throwing away your movies. Not going to happen, right? I'm not going to tell you how to dress. I just want to put a couple of thoughts into your mind. Have you ever had this thought? There's only a couple of sex scenes in there, and they only last a couple of minutes. It's only a How many is too many? How long is too long? Well, the story is so good that, that you know, I just, I just fast forward past that part. Have you watched it so many times you know exactly when you need to fast forward through something? That's a problem. It's not worth it. How about this one? Dads, here's a question for you. Would you, you have 16, 18-year-old daughter starting to date seriously. Would you, at some point in time, if she walked downstairs getting ready to go on a date wearing absolutely nothing but a bra and panties? See you later, Dad. We're going to go hang out. You would lose your mind. And you'd probably want to beat the boy up for being okay with that. Yet, if they were hanging out at the beach in a bikini that was probably smaller than the bra and underwear, you don't bat an eye. Why? Why is this suddenly okay if it's beachwear? It's not okay, and it never was. Well, boys have a different mindset at the beach. I'm sorry. No one should drink that much to believe that, okay? You're right. Boys have a pretty predictable mindset. And there's a reason why all the guys are looking straight forward. Because we've all been there. You know why moms are less, con- less concerned about the dates than the dads are? Because the dads know what the boys are thinking because that's what we used to think. What you feed grows. What you feed grows. If you're feeding the fruit, the, the, the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh will grow. If you're feeding the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit will grow. Will grow. And there is nothing wrong with healthy modesty. Nothing wrong with healthy modesty. Ladies, one of the best things you can give your future husbands is the gift of you. If you are, ladies, if you are valuable and you want a man who's going to value you, he's going to respect your body, he's going to respect your person, he's going to handle you with care and love as you should be, that will not happen if everything that you would give them as a gift is on display for the world. Too often today, 
I see women walking around like a meat display case and they call it empowerment. You're not empowered. You've actually devalued yourself. And believe me, ladies, most guys are never going to admit this. They are not valuing you. You have become a game. You've become a game. You're just the next conquest. You're not someone, you may be the girl of the night, but you're not the one they're taking home to mom. Well, if you're going to fit, if you want to, if you want the right fish, you got to use the right bait. You're going about this the wrong way. That's not how you get someone who's going to respect your heart and value you as a person. Moving right along. I'll end this part with this. The devil does not exploit big compromises in your life. Can I say that again? The devil will never exploit big compromises in your life because they're too easy. He'll exploit the small areas, the little gray areas that you haven't made a determination on yet. And he'll find a way to bend you to make it okay. You dress the way you want. You make your own decisions. But what I'm telling you is Immorality does not start with adultery. It starts with lewdness, being careless with our body and our flesh. All right, moving right along. Idolatry and sorcery. These are two peas in a pod. In short, it's giving your worship, giving your worship to and seeking power from anything other than God. That's worship, that's idolatry and sorcery. Hatred, contentions, and jealousies. This is a difficult one. How are you toward, towards those around you, especially those who you view as doing better than you? Let me say that again. How are you around people who you view as doing better than you? Do you think it's unfair that they've reached some sort of level that you haven't reached? I, I, I worked hard. I, I don't know why. I don't have a house like that. I don't know. You know what? They drive that car and just shove it in my face all the time. I blah, 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 blah. Just because they went to college and got a good job doesn't mean they should make more money than me. <laughs> Actually, that's exactly what that means. Okay? How are you measuring the success or the value of your life? Is it by your willingness to follow the will of the Lord or by what other people's lives look like? Outbirths of wrath. I already told you about my trip to Watertown. <laughs> if you find that people close to you don't come to you with problems, it might not be because you don't have answers. It might be because they don't appreciate the way you react to them. People go to someone for help, not because of the extent of knowledge that person has. They go to someone for help because of the way the conversation begins. It's almost never how the conversation ends. It's how it begins. There's a difference between, uh, uh, Dad, um, 
I sort of bumped the car into another car that was coming at me at 60 miles an hour, and I was doing 90. How are you going to respond to that? Now, most guys are going to respond like this. It's too late to hide his body. He has friends who listen. Okay, it's fine. Do you respond with, all right, let's, let's, let's go look. Tell me what happened. Let's go look. Or do you respond with, Everyone online is very thankful that I just grabbed that microphone, okay? <laughs> this is why I, you will never get into your room and stay there till you're 40. Selfish ambitions. <laughs> I'm just going to say this this way. Are you willing to sell your friends out in order to reach your goals? A selfish ambition is not an idea by I really would love. Uh, let, me, let me say it this way. A selfish ambition is not you wanting to have a certain lifestyle. That is not a selfish ambition. You may just want to have a certain lifestyle. A selfish ambition is I want this lifestyle and I'll ruin you to get it. That's a selfish ambition. I want that person's job and I'm going to find a way to discredit them, to remove them so I can get it. Wanting to be successful or reach an income level is not a selfish ambition. It's what you do to people on the way that's the difference. Dissensions and heresies. These are two Greek words that mean almost the same thing. A dissension is creating an issue in order to divide a group. That's dissension. Rumors, false allegations, whatever. Heresies in this, in in the New King James, it renders heresies. This is actually a bad rendering because it makes you think of doctrinal heresies. That's not what this is talking about. The heresies in this, this is a, this is a correct use of the Greek word, but it, it, because of our English, it tends to, to push us in the wrong direction. What this is, is this is a group of people who have agreed with the dissension, and now they've all bought into it, and they leave. They bought the lie, and now they're leaving and trying to discredit the group that they're leaving. That's the heresy. It's a faction. Envy, murders, drunkenness, and revelries. I'm not going to spend any time uh, on these today. They are pretty simple, right? But I, fa- I find it interesting that Paul ends the section with, and things like this. It's open-ended, reminding us that there's more to this. We know when we're out of step with God if you're trying to stay in step with God. So the fruit of our old life is always pulling us not just to do these things. This isn't like, okay, so checking the list of all the things that I shouldn't have done. Okay, I haven't, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered anyone. haven't done sorcery in a while. This is great. Okay, I'm good. This, that, that's not what this is for. Paul says things like this. When you're going along in your life, your old life is constantly trying to pull you away from the path of righteousness. And what Paul is trying to say is when the fruit of your life is pulling you away from God, this is a problem. 
pull back. Fight the good fight, right? Don't just stand there. I tripped, I ended up in a bar. You tripped at home. How does that, how does that even work? You know, those silly ads. <laughs> I get them for golf all the time. Some guys, when you go to work and you trip and you accidentally end up on the first tee box, <laughs> I hate those days. Um, my favorite moments in life. Um, no, it's things like that. Now we get to the fun part, the godly choices, the fruits of the Spirit. First one, love. In Greek, that word is agape. It means an all-encompassing love. There are basically four, four words for love in the, in the New Testament. Agape, phileo, storge, and eros. Eros is romantic love. It's where we get our word erotic. Phileo is basically like brotherly love. It's where we get our word um, uh, when we help one another. It's, no, I'm sorry. Phileo is charitable love. It's where we get our word philanthropic or philanthropy. Storge is brotherly love. You know, like when you only fight people with the same last name. And then you have agape. Agape is what happens when all of the rest of them are working at the same time for the benefit of another. Not the benefit of you, the benefit of another. When we're willing to put all this stuff into practice and love someone completely because this is the way that God loves us. He, doesn't, he, he, he loves us in every way that is right. This should be something that we should want. I mean, can you imagine stopping on the side of the road in the middle of the winter? Got some, got some, some lady from church that you, you know, that, 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 that you know. She's out there coming home from work. You know, she works in an office in a skirt and heels and she's trying to change the tire and you pull up next to her. Just want to let you know, love you. And you move on. <laughs> You're doing great. So proud of you. I want to call your husband and let him know that I saw you changing that tire and I thought you did a great job. Uh, that's not love. Okay, that's not love. Joy. In simplest terms, this means that people should see joy. Remember, these are things that are unconscious. These are things that happen without you thinking about it. People should see joy in your personality. And joy is more than being happy. There are things that can make you happy that doesn't necessarily mean you have a joyful personality. You should be trying to cultivate joy in your life. Joy is less about getting your way and more about the good in the moment. Finding the joy in the moment. Okay, so I'll give you an example. Building your house and being done with it can make you happy. Finally, it's over. Hallelujah. But is there joy in you while you're doing it? Depends. Are you paying other contractors to come in and do it? If you are, there can be joy there. You guys are doing great as you're drinking lemonade. This house building stuff's a breeze. Can you find joy in building another man's home? And a home that's nicer than yours? Can you be joyful for them? When someone, so when someone shows up, 
you've known for a while, they show up in that nice new car. It's the year, a couple, couple of years ahead of yours, a little nicer than yours, a little cleaner than yours. Yours isn't a new car anymore. Is your first thought, I got to trade my car in? Or is your first thought, I'm so glad you got that? You see, getting the new car and having the new car that's better than theirs might make you happy. <laughs> But it's not joy. Joy is a natural response where you can see how to be joyful in the moment. So let me give you an, let me give you an idea. Um, when I come in the building sometimes, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, on the counter at my house, there's a box. box is about this big. It's not full, but it's close enough. Over the week, uh, Thursday and Friday, there was a care net banquet. Uh, and for fundraising, and at that banquet, they bought cupcakes from Crumbs. Some of you already know where this is going. So, in that box are the cupcakes that did not get eaten. Now, I'm leaving for the week, and there's more cupcakes than I feel Samantha should be burdened with. Oh, Archie ain't going to find nothing. So I know that after the service, there's a degree of not just happiness, but joy in me that I get those. But I'm also, when I open up my Instagram in the morning, almost every morning, there's an Instagram of, of crumbs in their little, their, little, their little bake shop and the, and the window that's there. And I'm thinking, it's only 12 miles away. I can be late. No one will even know. When I see that, just so that you know, when I see that, I, I smile because I am I'm happy for them because they're open. So today, I have both happiness and joy all mixed in at the same time. It's, it's a twofer with cream cheese icing. less about what you get. Joy is less about what you get out of it and more about the moment. Find the joy in the moment. That's how you cultivate the fruit of, the fruit of joy in your life. I know that when Jay finishes a helping hands, every time I talk to people who go, it's not happiness you see in there. There's joy in those people for what they've done. There's just, there's something about it. The person who you served has some happiness, but the people who are involved have a joy that based on splitting wood, like I don't get, but I'm glad they get it. Peace. Peace is not simply getting along, you know, there's peace in my house because I refuse to speak. <laughs> That's not peace. Peace is seeking a life free from conflict, making a point to avoid and end conflict or to resolve it for the benefit of everybody. Peace is not simply the absence of conflict. Peace is actively seeking to either end or avoid conflict. This is why 
I believe, um, uh, I think it was Roosevelt, walk tall, carry a big stick, right? Or I think the way he said it was, peace is having a bigger stick than the other guy. There's a reason why countries that experience degrees of peace tend to have a very large, very active, very well-supplied military. No, no one wants to deal with them. We used to be that country. Okay? I'm gonna say, as someone who grew up in a military family, we're not the country we used to be. and Our military isn't used the way it used to be, but that's okay. We'll get back there. But peace is not avoiding a fight. Peace is being willing to step into a fight to end it. Not to prolong it, to end it. So the, for those of you who like to get into a fight, to prolong the fight, you got two friends who are working something out, they've almost gotten to agreement, but you've really enjoyed watching them bicker, so you feel like you need to step into the middle of it? Don't do that. Long-suffering. Another way to say this simply is patience. Now, warning. If you pray to the Lord for patience... He ain't just going to make you patient. He's going to bring you frustrating people. Lord, I need a job and I need patience. Great. Customer service. (laughs) You are now the receptionist (laughs) at a veterinary clinic (laughs) where everyone who comes in is very concerned about all the directions they ignored on the phone. You are now a stalker at Walmart. You know, whatever you need to do, God is not going to bring you just now all of a sudden you're a patient person. He's going to bring you opportunities to be patient. A Christian can keep a godly view in a difficult situation over the long haul because we are focused on the hope ahead, not the irritation of the moment. Focus on the hope ahead, not the irritation of the moment. If you focus on the irritation of the moment, it will own you. How about this one? Kindness. Kindness is the ability to be kind. Well, we all have the ability to be kind when we need to be. Um, That's not what we're talking about. Are you kind by default? Are you kind because you're just kind or you're kind because you think it's going to get you ahead, right? Here's, uh, I... I wrote this down early in the week, um, and I, 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 this was before um, uh, uh, we've, I found out that Diane Feinstein had passed away, but it serves because of what I have seen online. Good example of this, when a politician you don't like or someone with a po- political view you don't like passes, is your reaction, finally? It's about time? Or do you have some sympathy for that person's family that just lost a loved one? You may hate their guts. You shouldn't. You're a Christian. But your first instinct shouldn't be, it's about time. See, that's not kind. A kind person will at least acknowledge the loss. How about this one? This person needs some help. They're running, they're, they're, they, they, don't, they don't have food. Well, they did that to themselves. They quit their job. 
I've got extra. Maybe they need to be hungry. I mean, maybe they do need to be hungry. But is that your first inclination? They're getting what they deserve. <laughs> okay. Let's do a head count. Who here wants what they deserve? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> no. I want what I don't deserve, and that's called grace. Kindness is something we have to work towards. Goodness. This is not simply acting in the way that, is, that, others, that other people see as good. This is an active pursuit of moral excellence on a personal level. That's actually the definition of the Greek term. An active pursuit of moral excellence in relationship to God's word. Society's views change. What people call good changes. Think about this. 50 years ago, the idea of exposing a child to sexually graphic material was socially reprehensible, and no one would even think about it. Today, if you take a stand where children shouldn't be subject to sexually graphic material, you're reprehensible and socially unacceptable. You're the immoral person. That took 50 years. And now this is actually being played out in courts They will force you or they will take your children away if you apply a biblically moral standard to their life. You're unacceptable in society today if you have morals. God's view doesn't change. What God says is good is good. What God said is bad is bad. It really is that simple. Faithfulness. Really simple. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Gentleness. We can think we're gentle. We can think we're gentle. Are we gentle? We think gentle, I think, like the way to pet a dog, you know? Gentle. Every kid who's petting a big dog for the first time, parents are like, gentle, gentle, gentle. And what's the kid doing? Ow. (laughs) there's more to that than being gentle the word actually a better translation would be even tempered even tempered so you have as much control over your temper when things go good as when things go not good You are in control, I'll put it this way, you are in control of yourself in the situation. The situation does not control you. You understand? You control you, the situation does not control you. That is gentleness. When you know I am not about to lose it on this kid. (laughs) They ask me if we're there yet. One more time. Do you fly off the handle over the little things, things that don't really matter? A Christian is gentle. A Christian can be confronted with a difficult subject and one that you may want to rip into that person over, but you're gentle. You're the opposite of fits of rage. You don't fly off the handle. You keep control over yourself. 
Could you imagine? Jesus is walking along, the woman with the issue of blood touches, his, touches the hem of his garment, and Scripture says that he felt power leave him. Can you imagine if he was like, oh my goodness, touched me. Could you just ask? I'm walking here. You're like, Jesus just became Italian and a mobster. What did, what did he do? Stop, stop, stop. Some, something happened. Who, who was that? Who was, that's all he wanted to know. Who was that? Gentle. And self-control. I'm working on this one. I'm simply going to ask you this. Do your, do your circumstances control you or do you control your situation? Or do, you, do you control yourself and your situations? In spite of the circumstances. And again at the end we see this. Such things. There is against no law. Such things like this. Godly things. See, things you see in the life of Jesus. Living those things out in your own life. There, no one's ever going to say anything bad about you. But God will never see you as wrong or bad if you're living those types of things. When Matthew says a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and Paul reminds us that if you start, if you are practicing these things that God says is unacceptable, but uh, uh, you, you will not enter the kingdom of God. However, if you can see the fruits of the Spirit growing in your life, God's always got room for you. It's going to be there. I'm going to end with this. An old friend of mine, Don Cronk, has gone on to be with the Lord. Some of you know him. He was principal of Faith Fellowship for a long, for a long time. Um, he taught, I, can't, I think it was Watertown High. Um, just, just, a, just a big, friendly, you know, just, just a hilarious guy. He used to say this, your faith is only as real as it is when you're alone with no chance of being caught. And I think that pairs so well with the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. You are what you grow. You are the people who feel the most comfortable being around you. We need to cultivate the things of God in our life because there is a world that is watching and they want to know if we're serious. They want to know if it's real. The world does not need another religious person. The world needs someone who has the truth and the power of God growing and healthy in their life. And these things are going to happen regardless of what your confession is. It comes down to your actions. You can say all day long that you're a Christian. You don't live like a Christian, it makes absolutely no difference. You don't love like a Christian, it's got no difference whatsoever. If you love, if you love to give people the one-finger wave while you're driving down the highway, it doesn't make any difference how many Christian fish you have stuck to the back of your car. It 